Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that! Shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough... Think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic. A sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. In the air everywhere. We are back at it again. Another weekend in the Magic Podcast box here. Good to have you hanging out. We'll have podcasts every single day. We do this eight days a week. Today, obviously, the Friday podcast. But we have uh, on Saturday, we will take a, a look at uh, some random things that pop up, whatever's on the Saturday podcast, and the mailbag on Sunday. So very exciting. Joined by the man west of the 405 making his way down east of the 405, David Gascon. Right there. On the fifth hour. So, it's a nice little bag of fun that we have over the weekend. And, of course, I, I dip my hand into the deep end of the pool and pull out uh-huh. a guest that is unsuspecting to those that uh, that listen to our show. Now, so. do not pull a muscle here, patting yourself on the back. I will do not. I will not do right, that. Right. I will not do okay. that. I, uh, I don't have any fanboys like you that uh, do that for me either. I do sure. not. I do not have fanboys. I have, I have supporters. I have people that are <laughs> believers in the Maller Militia cause uh, and support what we do here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, every Friday, now last week we had the big radio story, so we didn't have anyone on because the big uh, Clay Travis replacing Rush Limbaugh story was a big big deal in our world so we didn't end up putting anybody on but this week the big story it's not 
a sports story, although Gascon will argue it is a sports story. Hey, it's, it, it, it trampled <laughs> our occupation for quite a while. Did yes, it uh, the, uh, the world we know, uh, the music stopped in the world we know. There yeah. were no... No games, no games for you, no games for you. The sporting world shut down for 134 days as a result of the COVID and the whole world shut down, working from home and whatnot. So I bring this up because BuzzFeed News, through a freedom of information request, they had to file a lawsuit here, they tracked down not all, but a large number, thousands of pages of email from Dr. Fauci, the man running the COVID-19 crisis in America. And as you might imagine, the reaction to these emails has been uh, over the top, split down party lines. There's some people that think this is nothing, and there's other people that think, my God, this is the smoking gun. And it's, it's like a jury trial where you put two people into a room and you give them the same evidence and they look at it differently. It's like my uh, it's like my minor investment into AMC stock. It is pretty volatile at the moment. Uh, Fair to say, it, right? Is it up or down? It's up right now. I right? don't know. It depends. Did I short the market or did uh, I buy into it? I don't know. See, the problem is when to. It's like being a gambler. You yes. got to know when to hold it, <laughs> and you got to know when to let it go. Yeah. And that's the tough thing about the stock market. Yeah, but you... that's the interesting thing about this story, though, is is when when was information, I guess, discovered, and when was it released to the public? And then, of course, what happened between, I don't want to say enemy lines, but and for all intents and purposes, you're, you're working with a, a foreign adversary. So a lot of these things that are happening with the coronavirus have been happening on foreign land. And, you know, BuzzFeed, yeah. obviously... Uh, looking into this heavily, it's a uh, it's a mountain of information. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting story. I, mean, I didn't get through a fraction of the emails. I did look through some of them, uh, but I read the story that was on BuzzFeed yeah. News, and and it's 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 like I, I use the analogy all the time. We do this in sports, but in politics, it's a political term. You have a public position, and you have a private position, right? And so with Dr. Fauci, you know the way you read these emails, you could interpret them that he had a public position that he was telling the, the American people and privately he thought this was, you know, a lot of the stuff he was saying was bullshit mm-hmm. based on, based on what we were reading in some of those emails. That's, that's my takeaway from it. But let's talk to the, one of the people that put this story together, one of the reporters at Buzzfeed news joining us. She's a uh, up and coming reporting star. You're going to hear a lot. From this uh, woman here over the next few years, I imagine. Natalie Bettendorf is her name. She was one of the the writers there at BuzzFeed that put the story together and went through all Dr. Fauci's emails there. So, uh, Natalie, welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the fifth hour. And in your opinion here, what was the most interesting thing that you uncovered from these thousands of emails from Dr. Fauci? Yeah, so I think that the thing that I took away was really what we see is the content of these emails, right? There's a lot of interpretations as to what some of these emails mean, what does Fauci, um, what is he thinking at the beginning of this pandemic, where is it going? But if we're looking at the actual content and his words, I think the thing that struck me the most was really this email where, you know, an ABC reporter is asking him um, early on, of last year in 2020, you know, what do you think the death toll is going to be from COVID-19? And 
he responds um, with the number that the report has given him, which is 500K, and says, you know what, I think that's way too high. Um, and just reading that exchange, you know, it's a short sentence in reply to the reporter saying that he thinks that death toll is too high, and we're here, right? We're well past uh, 500,000 deaths from COVID in this country. And I think it really is a telling um, thing about Fauci, which is that, you know, he's a human, right? He's the physician who a lot of us have turned to in the pandemic, but he also didn't understand how much of a force this virus was going to take our country by. Um, and so I think a lot of those emails actually showcase that, right? From January of 2020 until June, I mean, we didn't know how long this thing was going to last. Even Fauci didn't. And he didn't know how, li- how many lives it would claim. And it's a really devastating thing to see, but it's very enlightening to see how much we've learned from that point. So I think that's what I really took away from a lot of these um, emails. Yeah. I, I love the fact that there were like regular people in the, you mentioned this in the story yeah. that, that were like emailing and he was writing back to like regular people. I think yep. that's uh, amazing to me because, uh, you know, most people are like, I'm just going to delete that. Why would I write back? But he, right. he, he, he right. does a number of times, right? I mean, he would write back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was revered as a celebrity. I mean, we all know we were all laughing, right. About just kind of the, the force of nature that it became with Fauci as, um, you know, creating all this, this merchandise right around him with his name everywhere and these Fauci socks and Fauci donuts and his face on T-shirts. Um, and it's so interesting seeing actually in these emails um, how uncomfortable it was for him to actually see all of that, like the fame and kind of this pe- these people being obsessed with him um, and revering him to this state of, you know, he's just regarded so highly um, He's not super comfortable with that. I mean, science and health is what he specializes in, and he, it, it just blew up so quickly. Um, so it's really interesting seeing his responses to a lot of those. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, Natalie, kind of walk me through. You're part of the team there that you, you're, you're talking about tons of email. I mean, this is a, yeah. a lot to go through. Like, what's the process like? Like, how, you know, how, how did yeah. you guys work your way through tons of, of data here. This is an, an amazing amount yeah. of information. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I like sharing kind of the process behind um, stories, right? The story behind the story is really fun to talk about because there's so much that goes into especially putting out a story of this size. Now, as we stated in, in the article, um, what made this possible was FOIA requests, right? So that's the Freedom of Information Act, and that actually allows us to get documents from government agencies, right? It's legal um, to put in those requests, and basically the government agency is supposed to turn those over. Now, we sent these in, obviously, to the National Institute of Health, um, and we were able to obtain um, 3,200-plus pages of these emails. And this request um, was one that Jason put in. This was actually probably um, starting in March of 2020 and then, you know, went into the summer. But the way that works is, you know, what we do to actually speed up the process, because obviously to get all of these emails is a really long process. And sometimes what happens is, you know, very often actually the government agency won't respond or they'll just kind of say, hey, this is too much to get back to you. And so uh, BuzzFeed actually ended up filing a lawsuit, um, and really all that does is just speed up the process, right, because they have to get these FOIA documents to us a little bit quicker. Um, And so 
what we did is we asked for all emails, texts, sent and received by Dr. Fauci, mentioning or referring to COVID-19, coronavirus, and any and all internal studies on COVID. So that was our specific request. And we had to send in multiple um, to just really keep expanding the time period. So that's really how we got these documents. And then kind of the last five months is what Jason and I have been working on, which is the article itself of how do we really write an article that is going to sum up what these um, documents are saying, right? So not all people are going to see these documents and read all 3,200 pages of these, but we want to pull out what's the important parts of these and what are the things that people really need to know? What are we learning? There's no crazy smoking guns in here, right? It's really what we're seeing from a broader, you know, stepping back, what is Fauci's communication style? And what were some of the things of the points of discussion from early on in the pandemic? So that was kind of the process of how we got this thing out there. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure you've seen the reaction here. And it's um, yeah. some of these, I mean, it's been picked apart, some of the emails and, and, and whatnot. Right. And uh, what, what is your take here on the, the reaction? As everything in the country, it's divided on party lines, right? People have uh, yeah. strong opinions on each side. Some think this makes... Dr. Fauci, as you said, look more human. Other people think that, you know, wait a minute, he was saying one thing privately and there was something else publicly. So Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good thing to discuss. And something, you know, that we did at BuzzFeed is we said, you know what, it's important for us to release all of these documents. And that's something that differs from the article that the Washington Post wrote, right? They obtained um, 800 pages of these emails and we had, you know, several thousand of them, and we actually released all of them instead of kind of summing them up and releasing a few of the ones that we mentioned, like the Post did. Obviously, what comes with that is people create their own interpretations of what these emails say, right, without actually maybe reading all of the pages or getting all of the context. And so that's the thing that comes along with releasing this entire batch to the public for them to really just do what they will with them. Um, And so, you know, the things that we've heard a lot about um, and seen response-wise is a lot of stuff about the email where Fauci is referring to masks um, not really being effective, right? And this was back in February of 2020. Um, And so people have really grabbed onto that and said, you know, this is proof that, you know, this masks aren't helping or Fauci knew and Kind of these very, um, like making these statements that that's, you know, generalizing um, what Fauci was thinking about that. But to be frank, I think that that shows what I was stating earlier, which is that we've really grown scientifically of what we know about this virus. And it's just showing that, you know, Fauci doesn't know everything about this virus. No physician in the world knows everything about um, COVID-19 and how it overtakes the human body and what works and what didn't. And this was, you know, before the WHO actually declared COVID-19 a pandemic. We did not know at this time that people needed to wear masks for this airborne virus. So that's an example of something that, you know, people are grasping onto as this could mean this or this could mean that. But I think as a, as a journalist, what's important for us and when we were reading these emails is, you know, it's not something that we can do where we can read these emails and actually interpret and guess, you know, what Fauci meant or what was Fauci like really saying, like, let's read between the lines. You can't do that. As a journalist, when you're reading these documents, you have to take it at face value, and then you have to look at the bigger picture. 
And so I think that's what gets really dangerous is when people start making these assumptions and bigger interpretations onto what Fauci could have meant or what this means when it's really going beyond the words on the page. Yeah. And then I saw his quote the, uh, the other day here. He said that he did say his emails he thought were taken out of context there and he kind of like right. dismissed the reaction which is kind of like what you're saying right i mean but it really is I mean, right. that's like a, that's like a jury trial right Natalie? i mean that's one of the things about the court right. system you know people look at the evidence and they have different opinions on the evidence and so that's right. that's where we are right now uh totally with this and i, I totally. also saw i saw the white house uh they said they did not want to comment what did what was your reaction to that they wouldn't comment on your story yeah i mean i think that there's uh, you know one of the big things that we had in our article was addressing the the political pressure, right, that fell onto Fauci. And obviously that expands because now we're in a different um, administration that's in the White House than was when we were actually filing these FOIA requests and reading through these documents. Um, And so it's really interesting to see the responses. I don't see any of these kind of, you know, um, Fauci didn't comment on our story also, um, for the record. And, you know, I don't see that necessarily as a good or bad thing when I'm reporting on this stuff, right? So my job um, and Jason's job is really to obtain these documents and see, you know, whoever we are mentioning or getting in touch with as a source for the article is to just see, you know, reach out to them. Hey, we have your name in here. You know, we wanted to know if you'd like to comment. Would you like to add anything? Um, And obviously the White House is mentioned in there. Fauci is mentioned in there. Other people who have written emails to Fauci are mentioned. And so it's important for us to reach out to those people and ask for comment. I think that information is important, whether they comment or not. And I can't be the judge of what that means or what that says, but um, it's important for the public to know that the White House didn't have anything to add. Fauci didn't have anything he wanted to add to our story. Um, and that, you know, people will do with what they will. Natalie, you mentioned him a couple of times, but Jason, Jason Leopold, he's obviously yeah. a colleague of yours. Can you give us, and for those that don't follow BuzzFeed, can you give us a little bit of background on Jason and, and what he actually does for the company? Yeah, so Jason um, has been a great mentor to me, actually. So he is, you know, someone who I've learned a lot about um, document reporting and really what FOIA requests are. Um, And he is the senior investigative reporter uh, for BuzzFeed News. And he was previously at Al Jazeera and Vice News as well. Um, And he did some really fantastic work with uh, the FinCEN files that came out a few years ago. And so his beat really is he is a fantastic reporter when it comes to filing FOIA requests and really getting into the nitty gritty when it comes to uh, the government and getting those documents and publishing them. That is his um, strong suit and what he's really fantastic at. And so he, you know, was a 2018 Pulitzer Prize winner um, and he was the recipient of the IRE 2016 FOI award. Um, and he's gotten, you know, many, many awards for his reporting and this deep investigative work because it's time consuming stuff um, to read through documents and to put these stories together. But he's been a fantastic person to learn from. Um, I'm more of an early career reporter who's really interested in investigative work. And I've just been blown away and really impressed with, um, 
how much I've learned on this project, especially. Yeah. So the, yeah, Jason's great. The gravity involved in this is, is obviously one for a, a generation and, and generations yeah. to come. Uh, I think Ben and I have talked about this at good length in the past, just because of the profession we're in. Um, we oddly enough had to bear down when sports weren't going on for a long period of time. And I think True. the biggest thing, in the, yeah. not just for us, but I think Americans and a lot of people across the world as a whole, like we're looking for not only information, but now accountability. And right. so looking at Fauci's emails and the correspondence that he's had with a lot of people, I mean, the mask issues is, is one thing, uh, but yeah. the other thing is just the relationship with Fauci, the Wuhan lab and the Chinese. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes you're taught, even when you're young, if you don't know the answer to a question, typically the answer is always money. And, yeah. and so that is the biggest <laughs> thing for, for me and, and what you and Jason are doing right now is that you're connecting a lot of different dots. So, where does this lead or where do you feel like this is leading? And have you looked under the, I guess, the Christmas tree of that is the, the Chinese government? Because obviously there's a lot of things underneath that thing. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, what I said about just like what we were able to extract from these, right? Because this is something that Jason and I were thinking about the whole time while reading through these documents is what's the bigger picture here and what are we really grasping from his correspondence, Fauci's correspondence with foreign officials? I mean, it's really impressive um, how many emails there are from, you know, different health authorities and physicians all around the world who Fauci has been able to make connections with, um, with his work from the AIDS crisis in the 90s and working through different epidemics, right, and just building this network of physicians all around the world, right? So we saw this correspondence and specifically with some of those Chinese health officials, too. And so I think that, you know, one of the emails that people are really circulating is one from April 18th on, in 2020, and that was um, from Dr. Peter Dazak, and that was, um, you know, someone who Fauci made very, he was acquaintances with, right? And so they actually were corresponding about um, the origins, right? This is obviously something that they discussed early on in 2020. Um, but I think people have really pulled that part of it and saying, you know, um, where Dr. Dazak says, from my perspective, your comments are brave and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths being spun around the virus's origins. And so um, I think the thing that, you know, is on the top of all of our minds is what was covered up, right? Like, where did this virus come from? Um, was it from a lab? And I think that these emails actually don't give as much of, you know, um, as many answers as we might hope to that question um, about where the virus came from, if it came from a lab. Um, it really is just showing that this was a discussion that was happening among health officials very early on in 2020, maybe even, you know, before m many people had come up with different conspiracies at this point, right? So I think that for me, like, Jason and I really didn't spend a lot of time looking into, you know, what do these emails confirm rather than what are the discussions that were happening. I don't think that there's anything that can be gleaned from that. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, like, really, Fauci has addressed that and said that, you know, his, he feels his emails are being taken out of context. 
facts and um, that there's a lot being pulled out and kind of words put in his mouth um, from words that weren't said. And so I think that, you know, out of fairness and out of, you know, the ethical practices of journalism, we really can't say anything definitively about um, the virus's origins and if these emails really say anything about them. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, though, in something like this is that your job in, in that kind of capacity, especially since it is so unique, is you have to ask those questions and not be afraid of challenge. And absolutely, the, yeah. the relationships that Dr. Fauci has had throughout the years, uh, with those relationships comes power and influence. And yeah. from what you guys have actually unfolded with these emails and the FOIA is that you've had Mark Zuckerberg come into play. And yeah. I find that fascinating because a Washington Post article was recently edited that had Senator Tom Cotton talking about the origins of the coronavirus. And Mm -hmm. prior to that, it was a conspiracy theory. Now it's just an alleged, you know, hypothesis, but Zuckerberg comes into play and he's got things that are tied into the political atmosphere voting wise. And now this, Mm -hmm. and so we've seen doctors, we've seen people that have had information squashed on Instagram and on Facebook. And so right. I guess my question comes down to this. Are you and Jason looking into the relationships that Dr. Fauci has from these email correspondence? 
That's a great question. And honestly, absolutely. Because, you know, something that's important is that this is um, an ongoing investigation, right? We're going to keep getting more documents. And we're going to keep reading these documents. Um, you know, the FOIA request, they, basically the way it, it um, works is that because we put in so many requests, right, we'll still get some of these emails trickling in from later and later or maybe ones that were missed that we'll just be getting in the mail. So, yeah, we're going to keep investigating that. And for the question about, you know, the relationships that Dr. Fauci has with these people is it is really important um, for our reporting because, you know, as much as I'm like, you know, we need to take these emails at face value and really look at that, it does kind of feel like being a detective, right, when you're doing this kind of work. Because, you know, what Fauci's saying to a regular person who has, is just asking, you know, a health question about how does having COVID affect, um, you know, my grandmother or my grandfather or someone who is a celebrity who is saying, how can I use my platform to um, spread information about COVID and help people get to uh, better resources, you know, we do have to evaluate those relationships and who's reaching out to him, who is Fauci choosing to respond to, who is he choosing to ignore, and who is he getting really familiar with? Um, so I, those are, that's a great question because that's absolutely something that, like, we have to consider is how is Fauci relating to these people and who is he, um, what tone is he using with each of these individuals uh, because of their position? And so I think that's something that we're just continuing to investigate and something that people, you know, members of the public, you and I can just look at these emails and glean for ourselves too is, um, you know, it's so easy to do a Google search of anyone's name and be like, are they in the health community? Are they kind of a, just a regular person who's just asking for health advice, who's worried about their family, who's maybe harassing Dr. Fauci, too, because of political pressure, right? So those relationships are essential to understanding um, Fauci's communication style as a whole, totally. Yeah. And, and Natalie, when you were going through the, the emails there and, you know, how much I, I do see some things redacted. I mean, how much yeah. Basically, how much of that stuff was covered up where you couldn't read it? Uh, I know the email addresses obviously were, but there's yeah. there's some of these emails I'm looking at where like large chunks of them are not uh, not available. So what, what yeah. percentage of stuff was uh, you know, not allowed for you to, to, to view? Yeah. That's a good question. I, I don't actually don't know like the percentage of it, but basically how FOIA works is that there are exemptions from FOIA. And what that means is there are things that are redacted from government documents. If it has something to do with um, national security, especially, that's a big one. So if there's something in a government document, right, not everything can be declassified because there can actually be something that poses either a national security risk or there's just, you know, more stricter privacy around people's private information, right? That can be sometimes other health information, which is probably very pertinent in some of these emails, right? Because people are talking about their own um, health, talking about other people's health um, around COVID. So that could be a big reason things are redacted. We published the emails as we saw them. So we didn't take anything out, you know, the emails that are redacted. We didn't get to see people's emails, um, you know, so you're looking at the emails that Jason and I saw just as they are. Um, so there are different reasons why things are redacted. So that's something that Jason and I really had to go through and see, um, but it's impossible to guess, right? It's impossible to guess what's behind that black box, um, and we just kind of have to work around it. It's definitely 
definitely like, you know, doing a puzzle because you just got to work with what you have, the words that are on the page. Um, but yeah, those are some different reasons as to why things are redacted, but usually it has, it falls under, you know, one of those few categories. And Natalie, what's the approach that you and Jason have on going on on something like this? Because the reality is, is that it doesn't matter the publication, you know, Buzzfeed has Mm -hmm. not been immune to this, but it doesn't matter the publication. You're going to take fire from one side of the political aisle or the other. Right. So how do you try to be not only as transparent, but as, as open ended as possible when it comes to this research and information? Yeah, yeah. That's something we we talked about a lot. From the beginning, what Jason really was um, advising me to do is just read through these documents, because obviously there's thousands of pages of them, and just get familiar with them. You know, he'd tell me to, you know, read through as many as I could for a week, take notes, take screenshots of ones that were pretty outstanding or things that I wanted to save and save for later to go back to, um, and then just take a break, step back from them, and then go back in, right? And so basically our, for the first few months that we were working on the actual article, we were just reading these documents and just getting really familiar with the content. Um, we would identify people over and over again, like maybe some of Fauci's team members, um, his staffers, who he was emailing a lot more frequently. Um, so that was the first step of it, and that was our approach Um, And so I think that helped set up the rest of the process and kind of my mindset about reporting, because I was really thinking, you know, I'm taking this um, kind of just being as unbiased as I could and just being really open to whatever these emails were going to hold. You know, obviously, when you get this stack, you get really excited of these documents where you're like, man, I really hope something in here is like juicy and good. And we're just going to like find this huge secret. Right. But that's not always the case um, with doing document reporting. Um, A lot of these emails are pretty standard, pretty boring, you know, just back and forth administrative stuff. Um, And so I think that kind of put me in the mindset of just getting used to Fauci's style. Um, And I felt like it was, once I got in that mindset, it was easy to take away this kind of like, if there was any sort of political bias, Um, because ultimately my number one job is to just report what is in these emails, do it as accurately as possible um, and in an unbiased way, but also be really frank and transparent with um, my audience and the people who we're writing this for who want to know more about Fauci as a person, um, be frank about his relationship with the Trump administration, that it was tense at times and that they did clash, right? So we do have to be, um, you know, really transparent and honest around those very real relationships and the political relationships around, um, you know, Fauci and his community and really what influenced a lot of that. So um, it's really taking that into consideration. But I think when it comes down to it, me and Jason were really prioritizing this idea of just being open to whatever we saw in these emails and just reading it as if we were, you know, someone just reading BuzzFeed News not as an editor or not as a reporter, what would we find interesting that we'd want to share with other people? So that's kind of the approach we took. Yeah, well, it's a great story. Natalie, con- congratulations. I know you're, young, uh, you're a young reporter. You're a USC Trojan, I understand, yeah. and, and all that. So is this, is this your future? Are you, uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you uh, many more times over the years. But <laughs> do you want to be a politi- is this Is this what you would like to do if we would go 20 years from now, looking back at your career 20. as a journalist, is this, Ooh, is this 20 is far away. I, yeah. 
I have been into journalism since I was 14 years old, um, and I can definitely see myself sticking on this path. I mean, investigative journalism gives you a rush like nothing else. At least that's how I feel. And this has definitely been the biggest story I've worked on, and so it's really fantastic to see um, kind of what this might be like, right, and get the exposure to what doing political reporting on a national scale like this looks like. Um, so you might see a couple more pieces for me, I think, in this realm. So, um, yeah, no, I really appreciate it and that you took the time to read through our piece and wanted to get this, you know, piece out to your listeners as well. I'm so excited. Yeah. No, it's great. Listen, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys, uh, you do next in particular. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. It. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's location, sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? Uh, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's location, sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.